Hi, this is Robert Cunningham, pastor of Preaching and Vision at Tate's Creek Presbyterian Church. We want to thank you for listening to this resource, and we hope and pray it will be a blessing to you. One quick word, though, before you listen. While we are honored to be a resource for you, we do want you to know that an online sermon is no substitute for congregational life. It's a good supplement, but what you need more than anything else is membership and involvement in a local church. If you are not a member of TCPC, I want you to know that listening to your pastor is far more valuable than listening to this. If you are a member of TCPC, I want you to know that joining us in worship on Sunday is far more valuable than listening online. So to everyone, we are encouraged that you have sought us out, but much more encouraging would be for you to seek out a local church community. That said, thanks for listening, and may God now bless you as you do. Turn to the Sermon on the Mount by picking up the beatitude that I, I'm going to argue is the most revolutionary one for us in the moment where we find ourselves. Remember, the uh, Sermon on the Mount is meant to be viewed as the manifesto of heaven's revolution on earth. And therefore, every beatitude is revolutionary in its own way. But this one in a culture so divided, a culture raging in its polarization where it seems all we're doing is fighting each other and hating each other. What could be more revolutionary to our world than peacemakers in our world? It's just so timely important for where we find ourselves right now. And because of this, I have a lot I want to say this morning. So I'm skipping introductions this week and jumping right in. It's going to feel like we're going from zero to a hundred. Now, two points are the same they've been every week for the Beatitudes. Uh, Kingdom posture. Remember I said that the the Beatitudes are less the commands of the kingdom and more about the posture of the kingdom. Kingdom posture and then kingdom promise. Let's start with the kingdom posture. And I'm going to tell you up front that uh, this is where I have a lot to say my first point is, is longer than normal, and, and it's a lot. I, Luke was saying um, between services, this might be one you have to go back and listen to again. I've got a lot to say here um, because I think it, it matters for where, where we're finding ourselves. Let's start with the kingdom posture where Jesus says, blessed are the peacemakers. And what's unique about this beatitude um, is that it would seem on the surface that this is the only one celebrated by our world. We have discussed often that the Beatitudes are the foundational values of the kingdom. And as such, they are counterintuitive to our world's values. Um, Our world celebrates haughty in spirit. The kingdom of God said, blessed are the poor in spirit. Our world celebrates power. Uh, The kingdom of God says, blessed are the meek. I mean, next week... We're going to be talking about blessed are the persecuted. Where is there any category for that in our world? But peace, being a peacemaker, who doesn't want that? Again, I know our world is raging and and many have become addicted to the rage. That that's that's understood. I know that's going on, but by and large, historically speaking, humanity wants peace. And that's a beautiful thing. The desire 
that we have for peace is resourced by the image of God in all of us. Something inside us tells us that we were made for the peace, for the shalom of Eden, not the violence of this world. And so on the surface, it would seem that at least with this beatitude, the kingdom of God and the kingdoms of the world find commonality. That is until we start defining exactly what we mean by peace and how it is accomplished. Historically, the world goes at peace in one of two ways, separation or toleration. So one way to have peace is through separation. Historically, this is, this is how fallen humanity has tried to exist without destroying each other. We will gather uh, with our tribe, you gather with your tribe, and we will agree for the sake of our own self-interest to leave each other alone. We'll separate. The problem, of course, is that it has never worked that way. Inevitably, tribalism leads to one tribe seeking to dominate another tribe. But even if it did work, even if we were just able to huddle up with people like us and leave each other alone, is that peace? Are we really going to relegate our visions of peace to a form of segregation? It's the opposite of peace. That's division. And so then we turn to the other definition of peace that has become far more popular in our society, not separation, but toleration. Toleration uh, rightly renounces the division of separation in favor of this notion of everyone living together with a mutual spirit of toleration. That sounds very noble, but the problem is that in order to accomplish toleration, we are forced into an incredibly intolerant social order. Take, for example, the uh, famous coexist bumper sticker, which is really an icon of progressive toleration. You've, you've probably seen it, but if not, it's, uh, it uses all these different religious and political symbols to spell out the word coexist. But I'm not the first to point out the obvious dilemma behind that messaging. Every person represented on that bumper sticker would have to disown deeply held beliefs to accomplish this vision of coexisting. I, I believe Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. My Muslim friends believe there is no God but Allah and Muhammad is his messenger. And both of those beliefs represented on that bumper sticker, particularly the practical outworkings of those beliefs, would need to be privatized or even renounced if we are going to fit within the Western, progressive, predominantly white and highly educated concept of tolerance. So peace through separation allows us to retain our identity but we must renounce unity. Peace through toleration allows us to retain unity, but we must renounce identity. And in this way, both these strategies end up echoing the prophet Jeremiah shouting, peace, peace, when there really is no peace. Well, Jesus wants more for our world. Jesus wants shalom. That original vision of Eden's peace, fashioned after the likeness of the Trinity, where diversity perfectly exists in unity. You see, the problem with our world's solutions for peace is that they are playing by the rules of the fall. The fall was and is the violation of shalom. And so trying to recreate shalom according to the guidelines of the fall will always prove to be a self-defeating project. But remember... What the Sermon on the Mount is, it is the revolution of heaven on earth 
Not a way to improve our world, but the invasion of a new world order called the kingdom of God. So when Jesus speaks of peacemaking, he speaks of making peace on earth according to heaven's design. But wasn't heaven's design compromised? Wasn't that compromised by the fall? Yes, it was. Sin ruined peace. Vertically, peace between humanity and God was violated. And horizontally, peace among humanity was violated. But that doesn't mean we are to give up on peace and just try to make best of sin's violation. Instead, peacemaking this side of the fall now becomes the work of reconciling what sin has divided. Or as Paul calls it, the ministry of reconciliation from our assurance of pardon. If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. All this is from God who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is what it means to be a peacemaker now. The work of reconciliation. Not chasing an elusive harmony among sin's divisions but actually reconciling what sin has divided. And this peacemaking, this ministry of reconciliation, plays out in two ways, really three ways. The first we dare not neglect is the importance of repentance to peacemaking. Before we can talk about proactively uh, being peacemakers, we must lament the ways in which we ourselves have added to the violence of the world. Slander is violence against others. Lying is a form of violence. Greed is a form of violence. Envy is violence. Lust is violence. The the choice to lustfully view pornography is the choice to violently exploit image bearers of God. So the point I'm making is we cannot start talking about being peacemakers while bringing violence into the world. So it does absolutely start with repentance. But the actual work of peacemaking unfolds for us in two ways. Remember I said that sin destroyed peace both vertically between God and humanity and horizontally among humanity. Well, peacemaking seeks to reconcile both of those divides. It begins vertically. Peacemaking on a most fundamental level, is evangelism. Proclaiming the good news that men and women can be reconciled again to their God. I understand the critique of evangelical culture that focuses only on evangelism and not the work of justice and mercy. And it's definitely a fair critique. Evangelism alone cannot heal our world. But my concern is that in response to that criticism, evangelism is being devalued or even neglected altogether. Peacemaking is not only evangelism, but it must include evangelism. Friends, the greatest work of peace in this world is telling those alienated from God that they can have peace with God again. It starts there. It doesn't end there, but it starts there. Especially considering that that vertical work of peacemaking is what resources the horizontal work of peacemaking. Paul says it like this, For he, that is Jesus, for he himself is our peace, 
who has, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. Elsewhere, he says it like this. In Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God through faith. For as many of you were baptized into Christ, have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is no male or female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. So here's how it works. The vertical reconciliation with God through Christ Jesus yields a horizontal reconciliation on earth because that same Christ Jesus becomes our ultimate identity that transcends all earthly identities that tend to divide us. Simply put, heavenly reconciliation produces earthly reconciliation. You see, the fundamental obstacle of making peace on earth is that it's trying to take countless identities and cultures and force them to get along. And again, this can only be accomplished through either separation, where we retain our identity but we separate from others, or toleration, where we have to give up our identity in order to pretend that we have peace. What peace demands is a higher identity that transcends all other identities. And in this way... Diversity is united together beneath one banner that unites us all. And that is what Jesus does through his gospel. Have you noticed how culturally diverse the Christian religion is? We ordained Chelset uh, today in the first service, and we are uh, sending him out to be a missionary, a missionary in another culture, Indonesia. And that Indonesian expression of Christianity This isn't going to surprise you. It's going to look a little bit different than TCPC. It will retain the language, the culture, the traditions, the ethos of Indonesia. You fail to appreciate how unique that is for a religion. Conversion to other religions is conversion to a certain culture, specifically the culture of that religious founding. And implicit in that is that the world will be better if the world becomes like us. Religious peacemaking is everyone should be like us. That's not Christianity. The vision of the gospel is that every tongue, tribe, and nation finds peace. When every tongue, tribe, and nation retaining who they are as every tongue, tribe, and nation says, Jesus is greater than my tongue, tribe, and nation. I still get to be me. You still get to be you. When Paul says, here there is not male or female, he's not saying I stop being male and you ladies stop being female. It's that Jesus is now greater than my gender. It's not that I can't be an America, American and, and love America. It's that Jesus is greater than my earthly citizenship. It's not that I can't be a Republican or a Democrat and even strongly believe in those policies. It's just that Jesus is greater than my partisanship. And I think it's worth pausing here for a brief word of critique, for us in particular, American Christians, I mean, American Christians. And I'll go further, for for white American Christian culture. We have failed to be peacemakers in many ways. I'll give you an example. The way we have done international missions over the past century. American Christians go overseas to other nations and unwittingly, nothing intentional, but unwittingly, The gospel we brought overseas was Jesus and American culture. Again, particularly white American culture. Making disciples of all the nations in part became making Americans 
of all the nations. This is why I really love, speaking of Chelson, I, I really love our international mission strategy here at TCPC. We partner with, we resource, we empower indigenous partners. So that when we do do the American short-term mission trip thing, we're going to support them on their terms, according to their rules and their needs. So if you go to visit Macklin in Africa, I'm going to tell you right now, it will drive you crazy. But if you evaluate what your frustrations are, they're not frustrations with Christianity. It's that they're not acting like Americans. So church starts at 10. They'll get there around 10, 30, 11, whenever they feel like it. Worship goes on forever with a spirit of spontaneity. Who knows what the spirit's going to be up to that day, where this is going to end. Could be two hours, could be all day. And you'll want to say, guys, this is not how you do church. Call to worship goes out at 10. On the dot. And the benediction better not be after 1130. We got lunch to get to. This is how church is done. That timeliness and orderliness is an American value, not an African value. I think you get my point. If Christians are not bringing peace, it's typically because we have allowed another identity to supersede our identity in Christ. And that's why American Christianity is unprecedentedly divided in this hour. I'll just say it. Talk to churches. Talk to pastors. This is in many ways not towards TCPC because I get to tell them stories that I'm not really experiencing that. But I'll just say it on behalf of what's unfolding in evangelicalism in our day. Our political affiliation has usurped our Jesus affiliation. And it is splitting our churches. We find more commonality with those who share our political views than those who share our Jesus. And it is tearing the peace of the body of Christ apart. And it must stop. If we are ever going to be peacemakers as our Lord commands. Okay, that was a lot. Let me sum up everything I just said. To be a peacemaker is twofold. We evangelize with the good news of peace with God through Jesus. And that same Jesus we proclaim becomes our identity above all else. Such that we are all united under the banner of Jesus. This alone brings the peace of reconciliation that our world is longing for. Or does it? Because the obvious reality is that not everyone in this world is a Christian, right? And many in the world hate Christians. Sure, in the end, we believe that every tongue, tribe, and nation will be united together as one in Christ. And finally, peace on earth will be ours, but that's not where we are. So as peacemakers, we evangelize. But what do peacemakers do when our message of peace is rejected or even despised? Well, again, is Jesus your ultimate identity? Because if so, then at the heart of your identity is love for enemies. Indeed, a cruciform, costly love for enemies. So this is what it means. This is what it means for peacemakers. This is, this is how peacemakers, they approach this violent and fractured world of enmity with a win-win scenario. Here it is. We would love 
for everyone to be reconciled to God and join us in this ministry of reconciliation. But those who don't, we will still love with the same love Jesus has loved us. Either way, we are peace. And I would be remiss if I didn't act as a peacemaker while preaching a sermon on peacemakers. To my friends who are not followers of Jesus, here's one thing I know for certain about you. You long for peace. Peace in your life and peace in this world. Well, Jesus called the Prince of Peace for a reason. What if you can't fix the turmoil of your life? Have you noticed that each time you think something will bring you peace, it never does? If I could just get the right career, if I could just get married, if I could just get some recognition, if I could just get that dream house, if I could just make enough money where I don't have to worry anymore, if I could just get to retirement, what is life if not the chasing after an elusive peace? Well, have you considered Have you considered the reason you can't find peace is because peace cannot be self-produced? What if peace is found in peace with your creator? What if things are right when you are right with God? That's the offer before you. Jesus is the prince of peace because only Jesus can reconcile us to God. Accept that offer. Discover the peace you long for and then join us in the noble task of becoming peacemakers in this world. That's what I want for you. If that's not what you want, rest assured we will still love you because that's what peacemakers do. Okay, let's move on to consider the kingdom promise. Being a peacemaker is not an easy life. I'm telling you that. I'm being honest with you there. Not pretending otherwise. But... In the end, a life devoted to peacemaking will be worth it because it gives way to this. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. What's the connection between peacemakers and sons of God? I understand why uh, many modern translations loosely interpret the Greek there and say children of God so that it's more Um, inclusive to my sisters in Christ. But the Greek does say sons of God, and it says it for a reason. In the uh, biblical context, the firstborn son was the heir who received um, the family inheritance. It was the firstborn son's job to care for brothers and sisters with that inheritance, but the inheritance belonged to him. Do you know what Jesus is saying here? All peacemakers, men and women alike, All peacemakers of Jesus get the status son of God. You, brothers and sisters, are the heirs of God's fortune. And what is this fortune? God offers himself. Remember I said that the original shalom, the original peace of Eden was fashioned after the shalom of the Trinity, diversity and perfect unity. Here's what Jesus is saying. It's not that peacemakers of Jesus have peace with God as two outside parties that we get along. It's that we are now sons of the Trinity and welcomed into the eternal peace of the Trinity. Yes, of course, we look forward to experiencing peace on earth. Oh, for the day when our Old Testament passage comes to pass, when they will 
beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nations will not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn war anymore. O Lord, hasten the day of the world's reconciliation. But friends, that's not the ultimate reward. That's merely a byproduct of our ultimate reward. The ultimate reward is not peace on earth. It's not even peace with God. It's that we are enveloped into the family of God, inheriting what God has forever enjoyed. And that reward is given at ultimate cost. What would it require for the only begotten Son of God to offer to us the status of sons of God? What was the price of extending triune eternal peace to sinners like us? The greatest moment of violence the world has ever known. Why is gory violence at the heart of our gospel? Why didn't Jesus peacefully pass away in his sleep for our sins? Because our sin is violent. Every sin is a profound violation of God's shalom. And the violence of our sins demands a violent atonement. Not just the physical violence of the cross, the spiritual vengeance of God. These are the demands of peace with God. And this is what it requires for us to be reconciled again to our God. But Jesus was willing because Jesus is a peacemaker. The peacemaker of heaven and earth. So now we, the humble sons of God, through the violence of our brother, we, the recipients of, our, of his peace, go forth into this world as peacemakers in his name. Let's pray. Lord, it is not an easy task to repent of our sins that bring violence in the world. It's not an easy task to have a zeal for evangelism. It's not an easy task to make your name our highest identity and unite with others who are very different than us. Lord, this is not easy. But Lord, it is your call nonetheless. Forgive us for our failures. We trust that your violent atonement has indeed brought peace with God. And this table now proclaims that to us. Fill us with the good news of your peace that we may go forth as peacemakers in this world. Through Christ we pray. Amen.